On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, today's 9-11 story comes from our guest, Sergeant Major Clifford Lovejoy, who grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. In the sixth grade, a Special Forces recruiter visited his classroom and inspired Lovejoy to pursue military service. He joined U.S. Army Special Operations, and his 39-year military career included 17 years serving at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., where he ultimately earned the rank of Command Sergeant Major. Uh, Lovejoy's time at the Pentagon included September 11, 2001, where he narrowly survived American Airlines Flight 77 hitting the building in the vicinity of the G3 conference room where he was in a meeting. And today, Sergeant Major Lovejoy joins us here to share his, share his story of that day. Sergeant Major, welcome. Uh, we're so happy to have you here. And at least two-thirds of the regular hosts are Army and the other one we really can't apologize enough for. But let's not hold it against poor Jeff. But Sergeant Major, thanks again for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, it's a privilege to, to be here today and uh, have the opportunity to pontificate about the uh, things that occurred that particular day. So tell us, uh, first of all, just a little bit about your military career, and then um, you know, tell us about the story of, of your 9-11. Well, I've had a very interesting career. Uh, had multiple assignments around the world uh, at embassies and uh, many different locations. And uh, probably one of the most exciting assignments I ever had being selected as the G3 Sergeant Major of the Army, along with working in uh, a strategic analytical cell referred to as the Army Initiatives Group. And so uh, got a chance to work with the best and brightest uh, America's Army has to offer. And, you know, working in the Pentagon is very interesting because no matter what service you work with, everyone's an action officer, no matter what your rank is, unless you're a three-star. And if you're not, then everybody works for one. And you have to learn how to collaborate, work together, and how to be able to take any project from cradle, cradle to grave and be able to brief it to anyone at a moment's notice to include uh, on Capitol Hill. And they get you prepared for those assignments. And uh, it was probably uh, the best assignment I've ever had. But with that said, uh, one of the biggest events that was taking place in my career was taking place on 12 September. We were taking 400 soldiers from the Pentagon to the Battle of Atidum on what we call an enlisted staff ride, where we would tour uh, a site and look at how the war was fought and provide comments. But not only were we doing that, but we just uh, had come out with the new beret and we were having a donning beret ceremony um, at the White House. 
which had been approved. And uh, so I was going to get a chance to meet the president and uh, go to Capitol Hill as well and learn about the, the different branches of government and, and go through the entire Capitol. And so whenever having a major military event, you have to have what's called in-progress re reviews, referred to as IPRs. Our final IPR was on the 11th of September at 0900 in the G3 conference room. Regular day, excited. All the sergeant majors were present. Uh, everything was locked and ready to go. And uh, we had began our briefings. As the brief, and prior to the briefing, as I was walking down one of the corridors, it was clear that the Twin Towers had been hit. Uh, by the aircrafts, and uh, so that created some angst, and a lot of emotions were going on, but because the Pentagon is the largest building in the world, at least a few of us were not affected at that point in time from our perspective, and so we continued with business as usual and went through the in-progress review. As things went forward, there was a loud boom, and the whole room shook. And we knew that something happened, but what could it be that would shake the largest building in the world? And so we immediately exited the conference room and there were two Sergeant Majors ahead of me, Sergeant Major Ivory and Sergeant Major Lacey. I went to follow them and head toward the right, which would have taken us toward uh, the Army Operations Center. And as I entered into the hallway, it was just like a football field where everybody was running in every direction, hitting people, and it was total mass confusion. And all of a sudden I ran smack dab into a lady. And I then immediately was pushed to the left. And as I began to navigate with hundreds of people going in every direction screaming, I found myself in a stairwell and it was just like being in a sardines can because everybody tried to get into that stairwell at the same time to exit uh, that location. And so it took, I don't know how long as we began squeezing and crawling and going past one another, it was just like we were in mud to, to move forward. And really it was a dream because a few moments ago, I was just in a briefing and now I'm in a staircase slithering like an anaconda. As I was able to get out of the stairwell and stand in the middle of center court, I noticed that everything was silent and people were moving in different directions, very, very slow. And, People were coming out of the building with smoke coming through their hair and some of their clothes were on fire. 
and no one was saying anything. And so I was lost, probably not for the first time in my life because now we're talking about the twilight zone. And as a Sergeant Major with years of experience and multiple combat belts under my belt, none of that kicked in at that particular moment because nobody was saying anything except the medics who were navigating. And all of a sudden, one of the guards gave some directions to the military members and everyone began screaming and running at that time. And so I was just in the group with everybody else running, not knowing what happened, but I'm alive and I'm running with everyone else. And just not too long ago, I'd run in the army 10 miler. And so I thought I could run a little bit, but this was a different kind of run because you were surrounded by civilians and everybody was running for their life. And you could see that no matter what size the woman was, that even if her high heels fell off, she could pick them up and keep on running because death was imminent. And all of a sudden we're outside in the parking lot and everybody's running in every direction. And if you were fortunate enough to have your keys in your pocket, you could maybe get into your vehicle and drive away, but all communications, everything was shut down in the nation's capital. And so here you are, hundreds of people and no one is given any directions. And even I was totally lost. And, and so I, like others, began climbing the hill toward 95. And as I got to I-95, I found that there were hundreds of people all at the same time were on the middle of the highway. And as I looked to my left, I could almost see all the way to Philadelphia. It was like the bionic man had come about inside of me. And I'm trying to process, where do I go? What do I do? But nobody's saying anything. And there's hundreds of people in uniform. And many have decided that it must be the end of the world. And so I'm going to just walk home and just go home in the middle of the highway. Cars were backed up for miles and miles. And as I looked to the right, I could almost see all the way to Richmond, Virginia. And I struggled because I had no sense of direction. And what must I do? There was no, within the Army G3, we have an office called the War Plans. And every scenario, you have the best and brightest who work on those scenarios of what to do if any event or attack may have occurred. This scenario had never been talked about from the best of my knowledge. And, and I've read a couple. And so I was totally lost. And the only thing that I knew to do was every soldier on guard duty remembers their general orders that you will never abandon your post until properly relieved. And so as I turned around and looked back at my post, it was a building the largest building in the world. And now there's helicopters and other things flying around and there's people 
from the best of my recollection, throwing something out the window to get out. Was it fax machines? Was it tables? And now people are falling out of the building. Where do you go, young Lovejoy? What do you do? And everyone's still walking. Many are running aimlessly. And so for hours, I was lost with no cell phone, no way to communicate. All comms were cut off, no money, no identification, but I'm in uniform. But that didn't mean anything because the world had turned upside down and nobody that I could see in the thousands that were there knew what happened. And now we're thirsty and taxis refused to pick anyone up, the ones that were there. Everybody was going in every direction and many hours went by before I began to get a sense of direction of what I needed to do. Totally thirsty, maybe it's now about 10 o'clock at night, I still had no idea what happened and there were still hundreds of people around and I realized I've got to get back into the Pentagon. I didn't know where else to go. Those who had the right skill sets knew probably that they needed to go home or call home, but I, I didn't know that. I knew that I needed to get back into the building and fortunately, uh, I had the right identification to, that allowed me to get in, in the uh, Army Operations Center. And I was able to get cleared and get back into that building that was mass chaos. And as I checked in, I became frustrated again because I was listed as missing in action because many members were smart enough to, to call and, and checked in at, at home, but I, but I failed to do that. And it had been reported that if the Sergeant Major hadn't called in within six or seven hours, he must be down. And so they were elated to, to see me and that was a checkpoint that the Sergeant Major was still alive. But I realized at that point in time that I had colleagues who I didn't have the status on. And so against my better judgment, as if I had a judgment at that point in time, rather than leave the facility, I went in an area that was I wasn't supposed to go in because I determined at that point in time that I was gonna go to my office and make sure the men and women that work with me were still alive. Now, I was able to see the Pentagon in its full glory of what a major airline could do, where everything, the stairwells, the escalators were turned upside down and bent like bobby pins, wires was hanging from the the wall, the sparks, and now all the sprinkling systems had went off and I've got water up to my waist and I'm taking off my shirt and I'm moving as well as I could, navigating, moving obstacles out of the way because I've got to get to the men and women I work with. 
And after two or three hours, and it wasn't that far, but it was what you had to go through and the directions you had to take, all of a sudden my life had changed. And because just a week before that, I had been ordained as a deacon in my church. And so I was a believer that in Christ. And as I continue to go forward, all of a sudden I hit an area and it was cut off and it was wide open and there was the plane burning with all the first responders. And I fell on my hands and knees and I believe I lost my faith that day because it was clear to me that Jesus had come and I got left behind. And so the good people got to to go to heaven or somewhere in between and I'm stuck here to take care of and, and help people. And, and so there was some extreme frustration with that because I've been working hard to, to be a, a good Christian and a, and a Sergeant Major. And, but I stayed battle focused and continued to head forward. And, and I got to the office and ultimately and checked in every location and there was no members of my teammates that were there. And I was able to hear the dogs barking as the first responders were looking for people and survivors. And I realized that I needed to keep going. And, and I did that. And I was ultimately able to get out of the building and able to, to drive home. And as, as, as I got home, I was processing everything that happened and I really didn't do anything right, but I didn't know what was wrong. And, and my wife at the time, who was a Lieutenant Colonel had, I had been listed as missing in action and no one had told her that, that I was safe. And when I got home and I entered the house, I got in trouble because I was not responsible enough to, to call home and share that I was all right. And, and she began to share with me about the hierarchy of love and that I love the army more than I love my own family. Had I, and if, I, if that wasn't the case, I would have called and checked in and I tried to explain to her that, that I was lost and that I didn't know who I was and that, it wasn't that I didn't love my family or that I loved the military more. I just never found where I needed to be. And so that was a breaking point for that marriage because in her eyes, I put the army first. I was able to to shower and, and go to bed and report to work that morning at 0500. And it was very interesting because the whole building was designated as a crime scene. And I was able to get in because I was one of those as mission essential. And you had to climb the staircase and it was the longest staircase that you could ever want to climb. And it had to be just like going to heaven because each step you took, it got warmer and warmer. And as I got to the top of the staircase, 
I was able to see two women with the guards that were there and they were civilians and they had handkerchiefs and there was steam and mist that was still there because the bricks that had been burning had kept and the cement had kept the heat and they were speaking in another language and they was talking to Jesus and they was asking him to spare the lives of our warriors, to give them strength and courage and help them to go forward and the only thing that I was able to recognize as I was clear to go through that those two ladies that had handkerchiefs and was waving them, they didn't have any badges on. Who were those ladies? I'm told later in my life, as we talked about the stories, that they were angels that was placed at that point in time on a specific mission to give the warriors courage as, as they went forward. And I immediately went in and I went to the restroom and I sat on the toilet where nobody could see me. And I had a silent prayer and I asked God not to let me fail because I was just a young boy from Des Moines, Iowa. And here I am and here is a disaster. After the prayer, I was able to get down into the Army Operations Center where half of our organizations had been destroyed. And so we were jumping and relocating to Site R and trying to get a status on a multitude of things. And the executive officer had said to me with all the confusion, Sergeant Major, what are you doing here? And I said, sir, America's Army is at war and there are men and women working here that need help and guidance. And that's why the Sergeant Major is here. All right, and Jeff, time, you, oh, not, not to cut you off. Jeff, I'm sure you have some questions here. You get to go first today. All right, I, I do wanna make, I, I kinda wanna clarify something before I get to my question. At the beginning of your story, you talked about the, the woman uh, that, uh, you encountered in the hallway when everyone was going right and you ended up going left. I think what, what I read and what I uh, think is important for people to know is that had she not pushed you, you wouldn't be talking with us today because uh, jet fuel had, had burned everyone that went to the right. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. The jet fuel was there in that corridor and those people that was in that quarter were ultimately killed. So, so, she, so she saved my life by pushing me. And so there were three angels that I met that, that day. She was the first and the gotcha. other two. And, and, and so, yes. Uh, so I do know uh, in this story, and I don't care what anybody says, my credentials are there. We do have angels that are walking this earth today. I was not able to, to shake her hand and say thank you, but she, she got her wings because she saved lives that day and the other two saved lives. And, and I seen them and they were called someone to be there. So thank you for letting me give clarity on that. All right, I just, I, I thought that was really important, but my question is more from you being in special forces, having multiple, multiple deployments and combat engagements, 
and to see it america's is has been pretty fortunate in our history in that we don't have a lot of war on our soil uh obviously we have the revolutionary civil and uh pearl harbor and now i would say 9-11 are those are the significant those are the significant wars that we've had on our soil, at least in modern times. So what as 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 an experienced warrior of any branch, soldier, marine, whatever, what what is the what was the feeling, especially having so little information and then having war happen on your soil, which is typically considered when you come back from a deployment, you consider this to be safe, where you can exhale a little bit. Uh, what is what was that feeling of having war at home? You know, thank you for asking that question. And, and it's, it's very complex because you're never prepared to have it at home. You can be prepared in combat operations because all teams have trained and have gone through every scenario possibly, but you're not prepared. Uh, the White House, the US Capitol and other facilities to have it happen. And I know in particular for me, uh, I didn't have the knowledge, skills and abilities to to do all the wonderful things that maybe one wish they could do. And I went and got some special training, counterterrorism program training, conventional physical security, how to search for bodies. Those are not, not everybody knows how to do that. And I was a strategic planner by trade and a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. So I I didn't really have those skills to, you just don't look for bodies by coming in and opening the door. And so I think about it every day uh, because I'm told that that's a part of my index trauma, having witnessed all of that in the PTSD that I now have and not being able to sleep and still waking up late at night and reliving different parts of that scenario. And for our men and women who were at the Capitol, there's nothing that you can really do to prepare for that except maybe tabletop exercises. But even that, those exercises doesn't prepare you when you have thousands that hit you at one time and it's your brothers and sisters and they're, they're trying to kill you. And so I think we are studying and looking at all the different things uh, that we need to do in the homeland. Uh, many of us have the skills to go into different countries and help save the world, but it's another thing to save your backyard when it's your brother and sister. And it might even be your uncle who's on the other side who doesn't believe in democracy and he's got a gun in your face and he's told you to get down. What do you do then? And so I don't know. I know that we're getting at it um, and all I do know, though, is that uh, our men and women are the best and brightest 
uh, and the courage that it takes to get up and keep coming in the work every day, knowing that ultimately you're going to be attacked again. Those people reporting to work every day in Washington, D.C. and other locations have to be on their P's and Q's every day, no matter where they go, the restaurants, everything. And so, and they're going through therapy right now. There's no doubt in my mind, everybody's going through therapy to learn how to navigate through that. And you have to learn how to talk to your kids and your husband and how do you find courage and all the different things. And you can wear a uniform and you can be a, a senior executive, but when you've been struck at the core of where you are, it changes how you think and what you do. And just imagine closing your eyes and turning around as fast as you can, like a top and then opening your eyes. That is what those type of events are, except there is someone spraying at you and hitting you and every object, everything that was in one location is now in another location. And so there are many sleepless nights in the nation's capital, but our best and brightest is working on different things to, to help us combat that. And that's my thoughts for my foxhole on uh, what's happening and, and how some people are feeling. Well, our Thank best, you, Sergeant Major. Oh, I was gonna say our best and brightest is Ashley here and she is indeed in Washington, DC, but she is up next. Alrighty. So my question is, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, you, you being lost and unsure where you were and, you know, not knowing anything. Can you talk a little bit more about that moment when you found out, like, obviously like, you knew because you were looking for, you know, your soldiers, your folks that worked with you, that it was an airplane, right? But you know, when you first got that briefing and they said what had happened, like, can you walk us through th that 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 play by play and like what went on internally, how folks were reacting around you and just um, the overall climate and what you felt at the Pentagon? Well, again, the the briefing that I was hosting was preparing 400 soldiers uh, with 30 or so sergeant majors preparing in an in-progress review was all the buses, the comms, who had security, all the things that were necessary to get us to the White House and the, uh, the US Capitol. And from the moment it hit, uh, things changed and I didn't have an opportunity to worry and wonder where anybody is because something kicks in from all your years of training that you know that you, you have to move. And part of moving was, I gotta take care of myself. I've gotta do something, I've gotta go somewhere. And so everybody, there's no preparation when there's nobody that can take control and direct traffic in something like that where hundreds of people are running for their life and they don't even know what direction they're going in and they're running for their life. You can see the desperation 
it's it, it, and the whole facility it changed instantly and so some people that died i hate to say this it was somebody who ran into them that knocked the hell out of them i, I mean because it, 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 as you got hurt or you ran into a wall because the wall wasn't there before and so that is the kind of confusion that you can never be prepared for because all the electricity was out in the comms. There was no kinds of navigation. Do you go left? Do you go right? It's now dark. And, and so, and you're touching and, but nobody's screaming or, or if they were, everybody was screaming at the same time that you didn't even know what was being said and you couldn't hear anything. And, and so, um, I still live with that each and every day. And I've gone through group therapy, individual therapy, intensive, prolonged PTSD therapy, all those different things that can help you because of trauma. And trauma changes your life. And, and it not only affects you then when it happens, but it affects you the rest of your life. And many people don't know how to deal with that. And with all the medication and all the folks who try to help you, it's a life-changing situation. And not to mention, there's people who lost arms and legs and can now not talk and are in wheelchairs and family members. There are sons and daughters who lost their father, women who were pregnant, who had kids ultimately, who never got to know their father. And, and so there is what I call guilt survival, I think, that, that I wish then and sometimes now that, that I had been taken and didn't have to continue to live and go forward. And the only thing that probably helped me was that having lost my best friend, Sergeant Major Ivory, I made a promise that I would continue to serve and we would find out who done it. And, and I've done that, but many times I, I think as I sit there with a glass of tequila that maybe I would have been better off not being here today because I've seen all the things that our nation has gone through and, and many things that our men and women do. And I just love uh, heroes, which a hero to me is simply a man and a woman who's agreed to wear the uniform and give their life and go anywhere to defend this great nation. And so whether you're in the U.S. Capitol or in the Pentagon or any of those different places, you're there and you're doing that. But when it's all said and done, who remembers you? What happens afterwards? And so I've had the chance to look at all of that because I'm still here. And many times I think that through my medication and therapy, how would it have been if I not be here? And so you continue to, to do the, the absolute best that you can. And I just hope that we find and we have the right administration in place that's putting their arms around every American and that we're not gonna leave anyone behind that we all get 
the right help because there's, and, and this is Lovejoy's perspective. And I, I want to go on the record that half of these acts that are occurring is simply the devil who's working with his angels to help destroy the greatest country in the world. And so we're battling that each and every day. And you don't know who's doing what and when. We have service members who have been burned up from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet and they no longer have highs all they have is two nostrils and they're holding on and as they're in, in intensive care in our burn center in walter reed there's nobody visiting them maybe but a chaplain maybe and all they wanted to see and i was one who was fortunate enough to visit them and all they wanted to see was their children but the wife can't take the children in right now because they can't stand the sight of that warrior. And, and so he's crying and his tears doesn't come straight down his face. They're going zigzag because his features have all changed. And before he dies, he just wants to tell his family he loves them. And so I've seen all of these people in, in not only combat, but everywhere and and i just love each and every one of them and i'm glad that i've been given a second chance to still be here to to help share not only my story but anyone that we're so fortunate to be here and that we can't do it without you it takes everyone on the team to help us get it done. The problem is when half the people on the team want to be on a different team, that's a whole different scenario, but we're working it, we're getting it, and uh, that's my thoughts on it. I hope I asked answered that question, but I think I might have went all yeah, over no. the place. Sorry, Major, I, I appreciate you, you know, expanding on, you know, your role in um, really kind of just one being a first responder, you know, a survivor, somebody who has really taken, you know, uh, has taken trauma to triumph and sharing this story with all of our listeners because it's incredibly powerful, your experiences. And, you know, we have to continue to remember those that we've lost and then lost, you know, subjectively, if you will, with, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, and all the wars and things that follow. So I think it's incredibly important that we're sharing these stories in this commemorative series. Yep, I, I agree. So, so Sergeant Major, you got any uh, quick parting thoughts before we uh, sign off here today? Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for, for giving me the last few minutes. And just wanted to say that as I continue to engage in, in this with all the families that are affected, probably the most worthy nonprofit organization I found out there is Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And that's primarily for uh, the children and family members of those who uh, parents have, have perished uh, in combat, but also suicide. And so, because no matter who you are, you know, and what your profession is, you, some people consider that. And so there are these kids that need uh, a mentor because they've lost their father and mother through 9-11, their brother or sister or in combat and, and they don't have anyone to guide them. And so I would ask for those who hear this, that if you're capable, uh, 
sign up for that program, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, because there are children who are growing up and their father is gone and the new man in the household, he wasn't military per se and, and, and he doesn't see the kid the same way his father did. And so that kid needs a military person to come into their life and put their arms around them. And it doesn't matter what you do and where you go, even your uniform doesn't protect you from getting sick. And or injured. And so uh, I've run into all of that, but I'm still in the fight. I'm still holding on. And I hope to have the opportunity to visit the U.S. Capitol very shortly and to be working in their command operations center, bringing the knowledge and skills and abilities that I've brought from 9-11 and all the different operations that I've been in so we can secure and make the capital better and stronger and keep our country safe because all of our children deserve to grow up in the greatest country in the world. And it's gonna take all of us to make sure that they're still of tomorrow. My name is Lovejoy and I'm still Army Strong. Well, the American Legion does have a pretty good relationship with TAPS. I know we've met with them. Uh, so yeah, it's a great organization. Sergeant Major, thank you very much for joining us today and, and, and taking time out of your busy day to tell us such an important story. And we're, we're grateful that you've allowed us to share that with some of our listeners. To everyone else, uh, don't forget to rate and uh, subscribe and download and send us emails. Don't forget five stars, any chance you get. And we appreciate your time, Sergeant Major. Again, thank you. Bye guys. Bye.